0: Inside the Writer's Studio is also proud to be an affiliate of Libro FM, the audiobook platform that supports your local independent bookstore. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast for more information on Libro FM and a special offer. We have a special episode today in honor of the world premiere of my stage adaptation of my 2020 novel, Escaping Dreamland. I'll be talking to three of the actors from the upcoming production. The play, which focuses on three writers in early 20th century New York City, Will premiere at the Little Theater of Winston-Salem March 15th through 17th, and tickets are available through the Little Theater website. Joining me today are three talented young actors, Hunter Harrell, Charlie Putnam, and Tanner Wicker, who play Magda Herzenberger, Tom DePister, and Gene pinkney I'd like to welcome all of you to Inside the Writer Studio. Thank you so much for having us.
1: Thank you. So Happy
0: I'd like to start I'd like to start by getting to know each of you just a little bit. So so Tell me, we'll start with Hunter. Tell me a little bit about your background in the theater and and why in particular you wanted to audition for this play.
1: So um, I've had an on and off relationship with theater because I don't want to say I'm a theater person for obvious reasons. But um, uh, in middle school, I did a dramatic reading of the Pledge of Allegiance and my teacher pushed me to audition. So I kind of got the bug there. I did. I was the captain of the speech and bait team, which is essentially competitive acting in high school. And then later college years, I finally got into theater and um, like started doing plays, I mean, uh, acting in them. And this play, I just moved here a couple months ago. So I really wanted to scope out the theater scene. And of course I wanted to audition in general, but I looked up Escaping Dreamland in Google (laughs) like play right and I couldn't find anything and I was like because I wanted to be prepared for this audition but then it said you know the debut of the play and that really enticed me so we'll get to this later but you know I get to the back cover of your novel (laughs) and that's when I found out that you were actually like living in Winston and I was like okay I'm sold, I got to do this because not to be reductive and say, you know, support local artists, um, but of, of course, why not?
2: How about you, Tanner? Well, I started in theater in high school on the tech side. I was a stage manager and ASM most of the time. And so I kind of got the bug from theater that way, got thrown onto stage a couple of times randomly against my will completely and somehow fell in love with it. Got to college, um, thought about other majors and nothing kind of felt right. So I just decided to go with a theater major and then it really stuck. And so I graduated with a theater degree from uh, University of North Carolina, Wilmington in 2021. And after that, I've just kind of been chugging along with jobs and doing theater when I can, Um, bunch of community theater shows, lots of musicals and, just moved back home to save up money for a bigger move to New York, hopefully in about a year, and saw the posting for the auditions for this and I'm all about original work and new work it's kind of what I focused on in school so this just seemed like the perfect fit and showed up to auditions randomly after work one day and the rest is history.
0: Uh, Charlie, I heard a rumor that you have played George Gibbs in Our Town. Uh, I have. Also About the rest of your theater background.
3: <laughs> yes, yes. I, I I love George Gibbs. That, that's a great role. I was really lucky. Um, I had a very nurturing theater environment. Um, I grew up in the Triangle. My mom works in the arts. Um, many great local theaters in, in Raleigh, um, Clayton, Garner area where I grew up. Um, I got away from that, though. So the last show I was in, I was 18 years old. Then I went to college, got away from it. And then I was an American expat in Germany. And I promised myself while I was in Germany because of the language barrier, I couldn't really do theater there. I said, when I move back, when I move back to the United States, I will get on stage again. So I moved back this January, uh, about a month and a half ago. And then two weeks later, auditioned for this play. So you have definitely helped make my own dream a reality of of getting back
0: on the stage after a seven-year hiatus. Well, one of the things that, the audience is not going to see when they see this show is they're not going to see your auditions and you know i'm not the director but i did get to sit in on the audition and i gotta say in, in in each case now i didn't see hunter until the callbacks but still in each case like you would walk in the room and i'd just be like oh that's that's tom that's gene that's Mike." like it just it just felt right you know yeah, that's um, and that's a that's a real blessing with a with an audition because that doesn't always happen and we didn't know any of you guys before before the show which is one of the things i love about uh about doing theater is you create this new family every time um so we've talked a little bit about tanner you said you're really into new works i really love the idea of getting winston-salem arts organization to support new works um whether they're by local artists or, or by other artists um do you do you feel like there's a greater feeling of collaboration when you know you're the very first person to play this character and and sometimes even the playwright is sitting over there in the corner, um, you know, scribbling in his in his notepad.
1: I would say it depends on the director. Mm-hmm. Um with you, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's it's very liberating having you in the room and you being like, hey, Hunter Charlie Tanner, can I talk to you? And you're like, <laughs> I don't know if we can cuss on here, but you know. Insert and uh then you're like you know I, I I really like you know what you did there and it was a complete oopsie. But you know, um our director has a very clear vision of what he wants. So we're uh kind of conduits to the vision that he already has um in that respect. I'm gonna leave it at that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I to, to add to that, I think doing an original show is a such an exciting challenge as an actor because when i think about the plays or the shows that i love you know when you think of stanley kowalski that's marlon brando 200 years from now it will be marlon brando and so you you have to think about what that character is going to be and yes having the playwright in the room with you for rehearsals adds such a wrinkle to that and it 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 can also be a guide so we can bounce ideas off of each other and and i think that's super helpful
2: yeah just adding on to both of what they said. Um, There's just such a collaborative feeling in a new workspace that is not necessarily there when you're doing a piece that has been done hundreds of times. There's already an image that the audience needs to see and is expecting to see. So you can't really diverge from that with this piece. And specifically, they're not knowing what to expect, even if they've read the book they haven't necessarily seen it live. And they haven't seen these, this story told this way. So we kind of have so much freedom to play. Um, and that's what theater is to me. It's the most important element of theater is getting to play and pretend and play as kids uh, to an extent. And so when you get to like experiment with this group, it's just it's super fun. And it's why I love original work so much.
0: Yeah, um, for me, one of the things that that I love about it is um, I mean, how many times have we all been in a show and there's a line or a little piece of a scene and we go, oh, man, I just feel like that doesn't work and yes. you can't do anything about it, right? Because uh, yeah, the playwright yeah. is dead or a thousand miles away. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, there's been so many times when one of you guys has done something, you know, mostly by accident. But, but when I say by accident, though, it's really there's something internal that you're bringing to the character and you you say a line that's not quite the line that's written or you skip a line or something. And I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's better. That's better. The, the way that the <laughs> yeah. Hunter did it, the way that Tanner did it. That, that, and so the, to have the ability to keep fixing those things as a playwright and keep adjusting, because this is a script I've been working on for a couple of years and I've been working on it with actors the whole time. And now to have like a whole new group of actors to work on it, um, You know, it's like having a new proofreader come to your with fresh eyes and come and say, oh, this is great, but this. And then there are also those moments when, um, you know, especially those little speeches you guys give directly to the audience. um, When you're when it's an audience of two and it's just me and the director sitting at the table and you step up there and I just go, oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah, that's nice. (laughs) You feel like as a playwright, you shouldn't feel that way about yourself. But so I I attribute it all to you guys. But um, (laughs) So i'm curious hunter said something about reading the back page of the novel i'm curious if any of you and and i'm not at all offended if the answer is no if any of you did read the novel and if so like how did that affect your your preparation for the role or or did you make a conscious decision not to read the novel as a preparation for the role
1: um i read the novel uh before the audition Mm -hmm. um because again when i googled that and saw nothing i was like oh no uh, because I, I i have to be somewhat prepared you know for an audition uh, especially if i'm new here um and i want to make a good impression uh so i gave myself four days to read you know the 320 pages um i did i was like okay good read thank you Whew. um and then i oh sorry to the forsyth county central library i will give it back in like three weeks. <laughs> but um I I have closed it since then because I, like even like during the audition, I was like, wait, now he's pickering and not Mr. Lipscomb, you know, and all these, you know, I would I would see dialogue that was verbatim and then a line added and it would be like, you know, it would throw me off because I just had freshly read it. So I I was just like, I need to stick what is in the play because the play is constructed the way that it is for a reason.
3: Yeah, I had kind of the opposite experience. I, I learned about the Little Theater of Winston-Salem. I, I'm new to this area um, a couple days before the audition. So I really didn't have much information to go on. Um, so I walked into the audition and I'm hearing people rehearse their sides You know, dur- during the audition process. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on in this play? I'm hearing, I don't know how spoilery we were going to get, but I'm hearing disasters. I'm hearing <laughs> about relationships. I'm hearing about dreams. I'm thinking, what is going on? But yes, since since I purchased the novel and um, I'm, I'm trucking my way through. So I'm about halfway through and, and enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I'm kind of in the middle. I um, didn't read before the audition, but after the audition, I did buy the book. And I got, I think- a hundred pages in just so I could get a feel of the voice of the story and the voice of the writer, you, Um, and just kind of have an idea of who Gene was to an extent, but I didn't want to get too invested in that version of the character either. I wanted to kind of really learn and also find him in myself first too. Like I think I'll finish the book once I get done with the process and it'll be a much more enjoyable. And also like, I won't be analyzing as much, um, but I did want to read at least a little bit. So I read like that first section just to kind of get a feel of the difference between the play and the book and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I've been, I've been buried in the play for so long that I feel like if I went back to the book right now, there would be moments where I would go, well, that's not Gene. Gene wouldn't say anything like that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because it's, I mean, it's true that your your characters in the play are, are somewhat different from who they are in the book. And there are also things that we are able to, because obviously in the play we had to focus on one aspect of the book so we focused on these three characters, these three writers in 1906 New York City. Um, and but because we focused down on that then you can sort of dig a little deeper and so for instance Tom your your scenes with your parents um like at least two of those scenes and especially the one with your dad, um, those aren't in the book. Um, mm-hmm. but we thought you know we thought we needed a little to know a little bit more about that relationship and and, um, and to sort of pull that forward. Well, we've been kind of talking about um, audition process and rehearsal process and some of those kind of things, but let's let's talk about your characters. Let's delve a little bit. Tell me um, first about Magda, then we're gonna hear about uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie's who I mean uh, Tom DePister, who's played by Charlie um, and then Jean. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about your character. Um, who are they and and how do we first meet them in the story?
1: Expert segue.
0: <laughs>
1: um, truly. Uh Magda is a very strong-willed, sort of forthright, um busy bee. Uh and we meet we meet her at her most guarded, sheltered, um dissociative self, um, kind of burying herself in her work. Uh she we'll we'll talk about identity later maybe but um she hides a lot of herself and her identity and her upbringing and um in sense of you know in search of purpose uh it's hard to talk about her in essence but she's a force and she's a storyteller at heart Yeah.
3: yeah I think Tom is first and not first and foremost, but it has to be pointed out, he's a bit of a nepotism baby. So he's working for um, a newspaper in which his uh, father has been paid off um, by William Randolph Hearst to get this job. So he comes from this very, very, very wealthy family, but he does not want that to be his true only identity. So we meet him at a point where he is trying to make it on his own. He's been doing these, these writings that his parents don't want him to do about um, as he says, the bootblacks and the newsboys and the the real people in the street, not not the people living in the in the towers above Central Park. So we meet him at a point where he is like the other characters, trying to figure out who he is and who's going who he is going to be, and not be as the other characters defined by the tragedies uh, of his life.
2: And Gene um, is kind of introduced to us at probably the lowest points in his life up to that point. Um, Even though we don't really know a ton about Gene's background, which I love about Gene, that he is kind of this mystery that he (laughs) kind of keeps throughout the play. Um, He's the only one that we don't get to see his parents and his upbringing in the show process. Um, And so I kind of, again, I like to play. So it's also great for me as an actor to kind of get to make up kind of in my own head what his background is. But I find Gene really starting the story at the lowest point and getting um, his hope of relationships and love built back up by the other two characters that he meets throughout this play and um, builds a friendship and relationship with. Um, But he's just a dreamer. He's a scientist. He's intelligent. um, And he's just kind of this happy-go-lucky guy who's been through a terrible, terrible life and obviously is in a time period where he's not accepted for his true self. So it's quite inspiring that he was he's able to still be this light um in the story even though he is in a very dark period in the world and in the country um and that's kind of where he is at at the beginning of the play. Yeah, Gene Gene is a light, I agree. Um well to get a to get a sense
0: of how these three characters come together. Magda's working working at this publishing company, Tom is trying to break into the world of writing children's books. Gene is just Lost his job and is hanging out in a coffee shop. Um, could we do that first scene that's where you guys first meet? I think from the point where Tom comes in and says, "Oh, we were talking about the War of the Worlds," um, and you know, up until I don't know, we'll just go for a little while and let let people have a chance to hear uh, that that moment where you meet. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Let
1: me get my script so I don't mess
0: up. Okay. So <laughs> so while Hunter's getting your script. Um, I'll set the stage. Uh, Tom has has met Magda in her office where he goes to try to impress Magda's boss with this manuscript that he's written. Um, she kind of gives him the brush off, but when he invites her out for lunch, she goes, no, I can't go out to lunch for you, but I do eat lunch at Child's at one o'clock. She starts kind of wink, wink. And and so Tom goes to Child's at one o'clock, Magda goes to Child's at one o'clock. Uh, Child's is a sort of um, one of the first chain restaurants in America that, that was one of the places in New York at that time, one of the few places where a single woman could go unaccompanied and have lunch and they had these great big long tables so everybody would kind of sit at the table together uh, and Jean is kind of sitting down the table or at the next table and overhears their conversation so I will I will let you all take it from there
1: are we uh I'm so sorry where are we taking it from oh uh, we're gonna
0: let's take it from Tom says uh I think we were talking about the war of the worlds or something
3: something okay like
1: Brilliant. I'm so sorry. I'm so frazzled because my partner came (laughs) home, so I'm like, um, okay.
3: Now, I believe we were talking about the War of the Worlds.
1: I don't believe we were.
3: I thought you'd read it. My problem with the War of the Worlds is that I wanted to know more about the Martians. What are their lives like? What sort of culture do they have? I wanted to understand them and their motivations.
1: You're missing the entire point of the book. It's not about Martians. It's about us, the humans how we deal with disaster, how we react when death is all but inevitable.
2: You say that as if you have some experience with the subject? I beg your pardon, but I couldn't help hearing you were talking about the War of the Worlds. That's right. Have you read it? The trouble with the War of the Worlds, along with most of what you might call science fiction published these days, is that there is too much fiction and not enough science. Real science, I mean. Are you a scientist? I'm unemployed at the moment, but I suppose you could say I'm a scientist. I spent the last four years working for Tesla.
1: Nikola Tesla.
2: That's right. I was on the staff at Wardenclyffe out on Long Island, but, well, the money ran out, and now most of us are looking for work elsewhere. I'm Jean, by the way, Jean Pinkney.
3: Tom Peister. and this is... Magda Herzenberger. Also known as Mary Stone, secretary to Julius Pickering, the head of Pickering Brothers Publishers.
1: I'm curious, Mr. Pinckney, how did you get a job with Nikola Tesla?
2: Interesting story. Maybe I'll tell you someday.
3: If you think there should be real science in adventure books, well, why don't you write a children's series? I'm the author of a series about Frank Fairfax, the cub reporter, you know.
2: I'm a scientist. Why would I write stories for kids? Who better?
3: You could make your hero a a teenage inventor, and you could get the inventions right. Oh, if you think H.G. Wells messes up the science, you should read what Roy Rockwood does in the Great Marvel series.
2: As a kid, I loved Jules Verne, but I've never given much thought to writing.
3: Read the Great Marvel books. I'm not sure Roy Rockwood has given much thought to writing.
1: It is true that most children's series books are not going to win any awards, but I suppose your book is an exception, Mr. DePaster.
3: Oh, hardly. I'm no literary luminary. I'm just a journalist, really. I-
2: I think the word you're looking for is hack.
3: (laughs) Exactly. Which puts me on equal footing with Roy Rockwood.
2: So where can I buy your, what did you call them again? Fred Fairfield books. Frank Fairfax.
3: I have to get them published first. I'm hoping to meet with a publisher soon. Magda, I mean Miss Herzenberger, is going to help me out.
1: Miss Herzenberger might help you out. Uh, There's just one problem. Your Frank Fairfax character saves people from disasters?
3: That's right.
1: Well, unfortunately, Mr. DePyster, that idea has already been done.
3: No, it hasn't. I've read every children's series there is, and I've never
1: come across it. Have you read Dan Dawson's Circus Star? Never heard of it. You will. Dan Dawson saves people from a big fire and a storm and from other catastrophes.
2: Sounds exciting. Who wrote these Dan
1: Dawson books? An up-and-coming writer named Dexter Cornwall. Is that a real name? As real as your pen name, Mr. Neptune B. Smythe.
2: Oh, Neptune B. Smythe. That sounds dashing.
1: Dexter Cornwall happens to be my pen name.
2: You've written a children's
1: series? Just one book so far. Dan Dawson and the Storm from the Sea.
3: And did Pickering Brothers publish it?
1: That's the problem. Pickering refuses to even look at a manuscript that's written by a woman. And he insists on meeting all his authors face to face. I may not look like Evelyn Nesbitt, but I think it's quite clear I'm a female.
0: Crystal clear. Why don't we stop it there? I think that gives us a good a good sense of it, uh of the three of you coming together for the first time and in all of you kind of in this world of writing children's books and things and and also it gives us a little tiny introduction to old Mr. Pickering the misogynistic snake who uh, (laughs) he's he's one of those uh characters that you love to hate and so um I, I I love seeing uh those moments when when you're interacting with them and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do a spoiler here but let me just say that um as we move on to the theme of identity there is definitely a moment where magda is interacting with pickering that is is pretty funny i think i yeah. think uh, hunters i think is having a good time with that um but right before as as a sort of lead in to this theme of identity cuz hunter mentioned this before and i definitely want to talk about it but um it occurs to me that you know in musical theater there's always this moment You know about 20 minutes into the first act where as um, as alan minkin once said the leading lady sits down on something and sings a song telling you what she wants it's called the i want song in in, in musical theater parlance. and so i'm curious if you think about your characters if this were a musical and they sat down and sang an i want song what would they say that they want at at the beginning of of the movie what i mean of the movie of the of the play what is their um what is their desire, their, their heart's desire?
1: I want somebody to make my life mean something.
3: I think I want to quote in quotes, make it without the help of my parents or my wealth. I want to make it independently.
2: And I think I want to just be accepted for my truest self.
0: So that is that does bring us into this idea of identity. And I think, you know, when I was writing, there's some things that are very different between the play and the book. But when I was writing the book, you know, as a writer, you don't always sit down and say, this is the theme I want to explore. Sometimes people come to me and go, oh, I love the way you explored such and such a theme and such and such a book. And I go, did I? Oh, good for me, you know. Um, but I was definitely conscious about writing on the theme of identity when I was working on um on the book of escaping dreamland and I was amazed at the things I discovered in the historical record um about because you know gene for instance is a queer character living in early 20th century New York I didn't know what that looked like you know I knew it didn't look like what it looks like now but that that was all so there was a lot of research that went into that um but it, but anyhow I wonder if you could again, without too many spoilers, help me explore this theme of identity for your character and the ways in which your character um, understand comes to understand who they are, but also has to sometimes hide who they are.
1: Holy. Okay. That's so loaded with this play. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say Okay, without many spoilers. Okay. So, wait I'll just I'll just say um the, the American identity is a huge one uh, uh especially for my character and um she has been left completely isolated in relationship to her family. And you know, that was her identity at one point. She wanted to be everything to people and some people in her family. And now she is not. Uh, so that change of identity is huge throughout the play. Then, you know, she wants to fully immerse herself in what it means to be American. And the number one value of America is individualism. So why not just completely lose yourself in that and and try and be this, you know, uh good, working immigrant. Um, (laughs) You know, and talking about like the symbolism of New York, where we're set in the Flatiron building that was built by immigrants. So um, even in terms of the thing we were talking about with Pickering, which I won't spoil, I think a lot of that has to do with what it means to be a woman and to want to be in power. Uh, and kind of how those things intermesh gender and power.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's a a really thoughtful answer, actually. Um, I think I can speak for maybe all three of us. We're all young people, we're all, you know, early to mid-20s. And so I connect with this story on that level because these are three characters trying to figure out who they are and um, what they end up getting might not be what they originally wanted so in in Tom's case his whole identity is i have to succeed you know separate from my parents i'm going through all the steps i need to succeed i've been to all these publishers to get this children's book published can't do it now i'm at the bottom i will work my way up i will work i will work and then he gets thrown for a, a bit of a twist, which is he falls in love with a woman and um, it doesn't really work out for him. And so he has to go to a very interesting place, um, you know, ends up moving, ends up disrupting sort of his whole life, what he wanted, what he thought his life would be. And I think you know, as a young person myself, um, it, it's very interesting to think about, you know, what is it I want now? um similar things that than tom wants so uh from a rel- relatability standpoint i i've really had a, a fun time playing with with tom's tom's identity
2: gene's probably of the three of us has the most relatable identity crisis of this of for our time period specifically obviously with the queer element to his character um so it's definitely a little easier in some ways for me to relate. But at the same time, we live in such a more open society at this point that it's. I have to keep reminding myself of what, where he was specifically in that time. And even though he is very open compared to a lot of queer people during that time period, in some instances, he has to be very careful in a lot of ways that I, as a queer man in 2024, do not have to be in any way. Um, but that being said, like him finding his identity, he is and completely inspiring in a lot of ways of how open he is and the things that he is willing to open up to the people close to him in his life in regards to his queerness, which is just very impactful for that time period specifically. But yeah, I mean, he just is really on a journey of finding his identity throughout the whole play. And in some ways, he already had found it before the play even begins. And then that's that struggle of figuring out how to understand that you have found your identity, but knowing that it can't truly be accepted for him, that I think is really fun as an actor to play with. As a queer man, having to embody that is almost traumatizing into it in some ways of knowing what that is like to an extent of being able to understand who you are at a very young age, but then know that the society and the world you live in is not prepared for you to. And again, this play takes place at the turn of the century. And in a lot of ways, the three of us are living in the same time period, but just in a different century, if you think about it in a lot of ways. Um, And so everyone kind of expects at the turn of the century, everything to be different and be modern and change. But at that period, they were not quite ready to fully delve into the big changes of the world, even though technology was growing so fast. Social ideals were not exactly growing as fast as they would have liked them to at that period.
0: Yeah, And I think to me, it was really interesting to discover that, as you said gene is open about some things with some people you know in a way that he would not have been able to be say in the 1950s you know and it, so it's not um social progress is not just a staircase you know it, go, it goes up and down and um you know but they but i feel like each of you have this struggle against what society expects of you what society expects of a woman what society expects of somebody in terms of their romantic relationships and even even tom who's this very privileged guy wants to do something that's radically different from what his society expects of him which is you know to go into banking and all this sort of stuff Um, one of the other things that i think y'all are doing a great job of sort of teasing out of this text is the idea of exploring the creative process because this is a piece that's about three writers i mean the first Thing that you have in common, Gene's not a writer when we meet him, but he becomes one within a few days of when we meet him. Um, so that the the first sort of connection that you you have as this friendship begins to build um, is that is that you all want to be creative in some way. And even though Gene doesn't, we don't meet Gene as a writer. He's been working um, in a creative environment in a laboratory where they're exploring inventions and things of that sort. So so can you speak to that a little bit about this about this idea of of how how you explore the creative process um in the piece.
1: I hope um Charlie and Tanner have a more articulate answer. <laughs> um, because <laughs> I I think we'll get to this, but I think the play is essentially a, a, a love letter to the creative process and to storytelling itself. Um, but it is interesting that you, that you did mention, please Tanner, talk about this and take my talking point, but, um, uh, that, you know, you are a new writer, um, the experience of, you you don't have to be a writer, you know, I'm sure you have imposter syndrome. Um, you know, Charlie, like, Oh, you know, even though I've done a million things, you know, it's still this, it, it being in an artistic field, it never feels, like you're doing something and you are someone and like this, you know, um, because when you live life like we do in a lot of the scenes, we're living life. And it's like this blending of storytelling and inspiration and like our own experiences and trying to create something that is communicable, especially especially to children, you know, um, I'll leave it at that
3: yeah, one of my one of my favorite things is that it shows just the the frustrations of the creative process as well. Yeah. One of my favorite little scenes, um is we're discussing, you know, we've written, written these first three books. They go really well. We have a great time together. We go exploring the city, et cetera. And then, but the next time, it doesn't go as well. So I have this kind of exchange with uh, Tanner's character Gene, where I'm saying, Well, why can't your character just, I don't know, find fuel in the desert and he's firing back at me? Well, we can't do that. It's not there. So I like that it talks about not only the triumphs of the creative process and and collaboration in art, but also the kind of frustrations you can have. Sometimes it can feel like things are meshing and sometimes, well, um, it's just you're trying to truck through the work. So I definitely appreciate that part of it.
2: Yeah, just building on kind of what they have already mentioned, but Gene is this new writer and he's a scientist, which a lot of people would probably argue are the worst artists in some ways because they're so logistical, Um, which is so funny because in a lot of ways, Gene may not be the technically best writer of the three, but he comes up with so many of the ideas that they end up picking for these books. And So he ends up bringing this new creativity and everything. And it is just a testament to anyone can be an artist. Anyone can make art. Um, And it's just, you have to come from a place of caring and love for the art form in which you're making the art. And I think that's the most important aspect of it. And all three of them bring a love of the characters that they're trying to create to the books that they're writing. And um, it really just translates really well into great pieces and, it's what ends up inspiring the character in the book to make his own stories and everything else, which is also inspiring and a drawback to the book that we obviously don't get to see in the play, but it's still very, uh, they're just three inspirational people that are the artists of the century. And it's just very cool.
0: Yeah, I'm interested that you picked out that um, scene Tanner, because I can remember, I don't remember who was it that said this, but some point in the process of developing this script, somebody other than me said, hey, we can't just talk about their collaboration. We need to actually see some scenes where they're writing together and, and where it's working, where it's not working. And that's where those, there's, cause those two parallel scenes, one where it's working and one where it's not working came out of that comment that somebody made some somewhere along the line. Um, so they're not necessarily scenes that are that are from the book, but, um, but it is, it, I find it, one of the things I love about theater is how much you can cram into a page and a half scene. Um, You know, that maybe doesn't seem like there's that much going on, but when you go home and think about it, you're like, oh yeah, there was a lot going on in that scene. There's, there's all this subtext and everything else. Um, I want to ask one more question, which you may or may not have an answer for, but that's okay either way. But, but I know there's, I have like 20 answers to this question. Um, And that is if, does your is there a particular line you can try to do this without issuing a spoilers is there a particular line that your character has that that really resonates with you that's the one that's what i call the t-shirt line the one that you like if you could have one line that your character says that you would put on a t-shirt and wear around town you know what 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 might it be i see uh charlie's like looking at a script trying to trying to come up with one and i know that's a hard question um but but while you're thinking i'll tell you what one of my favorite ones was from the run through last night where you guys did i mean this audience this play has come along so well these three are working so hard and and last night uh i mean especially act one where you were off book it was just really cooking but there's a there's a speech that um um magda has in act two and i think i can say this without giving away too much where she basically comes forward and she says something along the lines of you don't always realize moments of happiness when you're having them. Sometimes it's only in retrospect that you realize how happy you were. And part of it is that Hunter just delivers that line in a way that just melts me, you know, um, because you, cause she doesn't overplay it. She doesn't try to make it. And there's so much of that going on with this cast of not overplaying it. I mean, the way gate does a speech near the end that I'm not going to say what it's about. It's just, He just does it. And there's no, he doesn't, he doesn't become melodramatic or anything. And it just kills you, you know, but I love that speech about, um, because I, because that really comes from my own life and from, you know, I can remember being with a friend in the hospital, not long before he died, uh, and him telling him, him saying, basically saying that to me about a time in his past where he did realize that it was a special, uh and he said he realized it was a golden time and i thought how wonderful to realize that you're in an especially happy moment when it's happening but you don't always realize it when it's happening so that that's one of mine so now that i've blathered on about mine i'll see if you guys have any favorite lines or moments in the show
3: yeah i, I can think
0: of one as i furiously
3: flipped through my script <laughs> you pointed out uh my line in act two um writing stories can be a way to capture perfect moments yeah. because they never stay perfect. Yeah. I think uh you know, I think art, capital A art and literature um can capture moments in a culture in a way that just history books cannot. Yeah. And so they can capture the spirit of a moment. Um they can capture kind of where we are or where we were as a society and I think uh I I just think that's a really, really perfect moment and and perfectly said by my character, Tom.
0: And it's, you know, it's interesting to me is that Tom didn't get that until he was in the play. Like in the book, he doesn't talk about that. All that stuff. Because this comes up several times, Tom talking about, because Tom's an amateur photographer in addition to being a writer, and he talks about how these photographs or stories can capture these perfect moments. That was one of the last things that got added in, I think. Um, I just suddenly realized, like, why is Tom taking these pictures? Sometimes you ask yourself, you put characters in and you have them do things. And if you step back and then you say, well, why are they doing these things? Then interesting things start to happen with your writing. So, um, anybody else have a favorite, favorite line or a favorite moment?
2: The first one that I had that came to mind is too much of a spoiler, so I'm not going to use it, (laughs) but, um, there is one in act two that I think I actually encapsulates Gene pretty well and the experience he has in the show. Um, he says, I think I'm so used to being scared that people will find out that it never occurred to me that I could just tell you. Mm -hmm. And um, that one just like sticks out to me as a queer person in general, especially in this day and time period. Um, And I think it just shows how ahead of the times Gene was that he was able to recognize that at that period. Because a lot of times they probably could have been accepted by certain people in their lives and they were just too afraid and plus, then it gets out of hand, word of mouth, and everything else. And you can't trust anyone who can tell. And then everything else in your life's ruined. But for Gene specifically, in that moment, like it's just a very ahead of his times, like statement to make. And it's just a very simple and true statement about queerness in general that you're just so afraid to say anything that you can't even be your true self. So, yeah. And
0: that, I mean, for me, that whole thing came out of experiences I had in. You know, in college in the early 1980s in the South, like going with a friend to wait outside while he went in to tell a faculty member what to come out, you know. And so I would be there. So in case it went really badly, he would have somebody there to lean on when it, you know. Um, it's gotten better since then, you know. We haven't solved all our problems, but we're we're, you know. Hunter, do you have any uh any moments to stick out for you?
1: Well, thank you for stealing mine. Um, I really appreciate that. <laughs> um but i also i really i just love doing this um when i say uh i love you both to um tanner and charlie's character just because i love saying it to them (laughs) of one because i really do like these people um but and it's you know just a really nice moment but also narratively uh, it's nice for my character to be able to say that because it's parallel having two people next to Magda saying that she loves them very much. Um, you'll find out in the show why, but yeah.
0: Well, one of the things that's been a great pleasure for me in in watching this show is is just watching the three of you work together and become become supportive of one another, become friends with each other. Um, it's like, you know, there's these fictional characters in these children's books that they're writing that are kind of similar to these fictional characters that are writing the children's books that are kind of similar to the characters you've written in the play, that then there's this relationship between the three of you guys that it's also a friendship. So it's been really, it's really fun to explore all those different levels. But I thank you guys all for being on the show. This has been Inside the Writer Studio. My guests have been Hunter Harold, Tanner Wicker, and Charlie Putnam, who star in the upcoming world premiere of my stage adaptation of my 2020 novel, Escaping Dreamland, at the Little Theater of Winston-Salem on March 15th through 17th, and tickets are available through the Little Theater website. Hunter, Tanner, and Charlie, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank, thank
0: you. you Inside the Writer's Studio is sponsored by Bookmarks, a literary nonprofit that runs the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas and operates a community gathering place and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. To find out more about Bookmarks and all its programs, visit www.bookmarksnc.org. Inside the Writer's Studio is proud to be affiliated with Libro FM. Unlike other audiobook platforms, Libro FM supports your local independent bookstore, whether you buy a single book or like me, a monthly subscription. You can link your account to your local store or to Bookmarks to support literary community. For a special two-for-one offer, go to Libro.fm and use the discount code WRITERS. If you've enjoyed Inside the Writer's Studio, please consider leaving a rating or review online at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside the Writer's Studio posts new episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month. On our next episode, I'll be talking with Nina Simon, author of the debut novel Mother-Daughter Murder Night. Until then, thanks for listening, and may you read with wonder and write with passion.